You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. guys might, I won't. I'll die with you. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, this very night before the cock crows, you'll deny three times that you know me. And Peter emphatically says, never, I will die with you. And after that night, he never wanted to see another rooster ever again. (laughs) And after the cock crowed, one of the gospel writers tells us that Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Have you had a moment of huge failure just like Peter did? Is there a rooster in your own life? Something that reminds you of the time that you failed Jesus. Maybe you ardently proclaimed that you would never fail Jesus just like Peter did. It might have looked like seeing another person fail and thinking to yourself, that'll never be me. Well, Pastor Danny reminds us today that Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Peter would never forget that look. But it encourages me that Jesus turned toward Peter in his failure and didn't turn away. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Revelation chapter 2 with today's edition of The Living Word. Some people never study, never hear studies from the book of Revelation. I think that's a shame. It specifically opens telling us that if we would read the book and take heed to the prophecies in it, that we will be blessed. We'll be blessed. The outline for the book comes early on in chapter one. John the apostle who receives the revelation of the book of Revelation is told by the angel giving him the revelation, write what you have seen, what is now, and what is yet to come. That is the outline of the book. What he has seen, uh, all of Jesus' first coming, the fulfillment of that mission, then commissioning in his disciples, what is now in John's day, Revelation 2 and 3, which also is our day. Seven chosen churches, seven letters to these seven churches And they are meant to be messages for the church age. So you have what John has seen, what is now, that's the church age. Interesting thing happens in Revelation chapter 4. We will get there, not today. John hears a trumpet and a voice like a trumpet. And it says, come up hither. And John is caught up to heaven. And beginning in chapter 4, Everything John sees is from heaven. I believe chapter 4 is the rapture of the church. Because the majority of the book is the third piece of the outline. What will take place after this? What's after this? The seven messages to the seven churches. That's the church age. And then the rapture of the church. And then we have what's called the great tribulation. A time 
uh, on the world that's never happened and never will be equaled again. It's going to be a terrible time. A lot of people are going to die. Uh, and so the majority of the book of Revelation is about this coming day when it's the closest thing to hell on earth. And then at the end of the tribulation period, Jesus breaks through the clouds, second coming, and then the great white throne judgment, and then we move into a thousand-year reign on earth with Christ, and then after that, eternity. It's an exciting book. John is told by the angel that God has given his saints the revelation. He wants us to know what's going to happen. Now, some people love the message of the majority of the book because, you know, it gets you all emotional because you're, you're going to talk about the Antichrist. And there's a lot of gore and things like that. And some people, even though, you know, we're, we're just kind of weird that way. We just kind of like that. But what we need to be careful of is going too fast through Revelation 2 and 3. Because if we're going to be ready for Jesus' coming, we better pay attention to what he says to his church. And so we're in chapter 2, the church of Smyrna. Smyrna means bitter. It's related to the word myrrh. Myrrh was a perfume used to embalm people. They would wrap them, mummify them, and as they're wrapping the, the body with the linen, they would place in the linen as they're wrapping the body, myrrh. The wise men brought frankincense, myrrh, gold to young Jesus. Every one of those speaks something of Jesus, and the myrrh speaks of his coming to suffer and to die. Isaiah 60 prophesies in his second coming, gifts will be brought to him, and it specifically mentions gold and frankincense, but no myrrh. Why? No prophetic significance after his second coming. Listen, he's fulfilled the mission. He died. He was buried. He rose again. He'll never have to suffer and die again which is our future, by the way. Domitian was the emperor. He banished John to Patmos where he receives this revelation. Emperor worship was common. In that day, a common greeting would be, Caesar is Lord. But if you came to know Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, 1 Corinthians, written to a Roman audience, Rome is ruling the Caesars. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You don't appreciate that unless you appreciate it in the context of the Roman world in that day where the common greeting would be Caesar is Lord, but if you come to know Christ, now you knew Jesus is Lord. But to publicly acknowledge that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, especially in a place like Smyrna, it came with great cost. You could lose your job. If you're running for high school uh, president, uh, you're probably not going to get the majority vote if you, they know you're a follower of Christ. It was tough to be a Christian in Smyrna. And so Jesus writes to encourage them. Verse 8, chapter 2. To the angel of the messenger of the church in Smyrna, right? These are the words of him who was the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, 
yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. You'll suffer persecution 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. The second death is Revelation 21 as humanity stands before God's throne and all whose names are not found written in the book of life, otherwise called the Lamb's book of life, are cast into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is called the second death. And the only way to escape the second death, the only way not to die twice is to be born again once by faith in Jesus. Three words describe the suffering of the saints in Smyrna. One means to be crushed beneath a weight. The second is destitution, poverty, yet from heaven's perspective, wealthy. The third is slander. They talk negatively about you just because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. They insult you. They defame you. And as bad as it was for a Christian living in Smyrna, Jesus says in this message, for some of you, it's going to get worse. Some of you are going to go to prison. Some of you are going to have to give your life for your faith in Jesus. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Now, I thought about this. There, there are two categories of suffering in the will of God. We're not talking about suffering for our stupidity. We know what that's like. We're talking about suffering in the will of God. And suffering in the will of God, one uh, that I choose, I choose to be identified with Jesus Christ. That's the suffering you choose. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. My, Moses, by faith, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for Christ as of greater worth than the treasures of Egypt because it was looking ahead to his reward and it's going to be worth it in the end. And then you make a choice if you're the real deal to suffer for Christ by saying no to your natural desires, saying no to sexual sin, saying no to greed, saying no to just being accepted by the world, and all those things that come with being a Christian that you say no to, saying yes to godly training. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, train yourself to be godly for physical exercises of some value, but godliness has value both for the present life and the one to come. So training myself to be godly, disciplining myself to read the Bible, not just to yell at you, to pray, et cetera, et cetera. I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I beat my body, I make it my slave, so that after I've preached to others, I myself would not be disqualified for the prize. So things I choose to suffer. But then the second category, in the will of God, suffering 
And, and it's not suffering I choose, but it's suffering in the will of God. Jesus, after his resurrection, Peter is told to wait for him back in Galilee along with the other apostles. But Peter, impatient Peter, uh, Jesus doesn't show up. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. And the others say, we'll go with you. And they go out. And interestingly enough, they fish all night and they catch nothing. And then there's a figure on the beach. And he cries out, hey, you guys catch anything? You imagine how they felt? They are, Peter's already discouraged. He's a professional fisherman, but he caught nothing all night. And some figure on the beach is crying out sarcastically, it seems. Did you catch anything? Nothing. And just like three years before, at the instruction of this man, uh, they cast the nets and catch so many fish that the, 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 the boats are going to sink. And Peter, in pure Peter fashion, John leans over to Peter with all these fish, and he says, that's the Lord. Peter puts on his clothes, jumps in the water. <laughs> Jesus has got breakfast for them. They have breakfast, and after breakfast, they're walking along the beach. Personal conversation between Jesus and Peter. And Jesus says to Peter, when you were young, they dressed, you dressed the way you wanted to dress. You went where you wanted to go. But when you're old, Peter, you, they're going to dress you in a way you don't want to be dressed, and they're going to take you where you don't want to go. John is following them, so Peter says to Jesus, Lord, if that's, if that's what's going to happen to me, because it says Jesus revealed to him this is how we would glorify God. He's going to have to die for his faith one day. And so Peter says, if that's what you got for me, what about him? Jesus says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Follow me. Then Peter went out and started a rumor that John wasn't going to die before the second coming. <laughs> Peter thought he was more spiritual than the other apostles. The last supper, the Passover meal before the cross, Jesus revealed to the 12 that they were going to all fall away on account of him. Peter says, not me. All these other guys might, I won't. I'll die with you. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. This very night before the cock crows, you'll deny three times that you know me. And Peter emphatically says, never. I will die with you. And after that night, he never wanted to see another rooster ever again. <laughs> and after the cock crowed, one of the gospel writers tells us that Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And Peter went out after that scrutinizing gaze right into his heart. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Now how miserable he felt. What an opportunity to stand for Christ, but it would cost him. And he denied even knowing him. The truth was he did know him, but he wasn't willing to pay the price. Turn with me to John's gospel, chapter 21. In this encounter on the beach, there with Jesus, verse 15 says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these there's debate over what the these are. I have a, a strong opinion what the these are. Don't look too deeply into the passage. What's just happened? 
They fished all night. They caught nothing. Jesus' word, they catch so many fish that the boats are going to sink. Peter's livelihood, he had grown up fishing. He had been a fisherman for his livelihood. And impatient, waiting for Jesus in Galilee, he says to the guys, I'm going fishing. I think Peter not only did it as a business, he loved it, and he loved fish. But if you don't believe it's the fish, these, you love me more than these, the fish. Because why did they not catch anything? Isn't there a message there? Peter, three years before, Jesus comes walking by. Jesus says, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And he leaves all that behind. So what's he going back to? And he catches nothing. I think there's a message there. Do you truly love me more than these? If you don't believe it's the fish and the old life and the livelihood, then look, it doesn't change the point of the passage. You fill in the blank. If it were you sitting there, and Jesus says, do you love me more than these? Fill in the blank. Do you love me more than the girlfriend? Do you love me more than the house? Do you love me more than your job? Would you leave your job? Would you leave the salary? If it really was Jesus saying, come, do you truly love me more than these? Fill in the blank. And Peter says, yes, Lord. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Now, I know there are different words in the Greek each time Jesus says, do you love me? Do you agape? Do you, do you? I know that, but this is not the point. You don't need to know the Greek words for the point. Second time he asked him, Lord, you know I love you. Take care of my sheep. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Some of you know in my normal daily Bible reading now, I afterward will read the devotional by Oswald Chambers, My Upmost for His Highest. I've used it several times over the years. It's just... He speaks from the grave, <laughs> let me tell you. And I love him and I hate him, if you know what I mean. And this last week, March the 2nd, here it is. Have you felt the hurt of the Lord? And the scripture he puts here is, Jesus said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? Let me read you a section of it. Have you felt the hurt of the Lord to the uncovered quick, the place where the real sensitiveness of your life is lodged? Peter was grieved because Jesus said unto him the third time. He was awakening to the fact that in the real true center of his personal life, he was devoted to Jesus. He began to see what the patient questioning meant. There was no room for passionate utterance, no room for exhilaration or sentiment. Peter was beginning to discover to himself how much he did love the Lord. And there was no one in heaven above or upon earth beneath beside Jesus Christ. But he did not know it until the probing, hurting questions of the Lord came. The Lord's questions always reveal me to myself. Our Lord never asked questions until the right time. Rarely, but probably at least once, he will get us into a corner where he will hurt us with his 
undeviating questions, and we will realize that we do love him far more deeply than any profession can ever show. All these others may fall away. I never will. I will die with you. But he didn't prove it till after. He wept bitterly. He repented. He never wanted to make that mistake again. What an awful feeling to know. I failed, my Lord, because I was unwilling to suffer, whatever the cost. Unwilling to say no to whatever it would mean to cling to him and stay close to him. But let me give you in the last few minutes I have this morning the positive side of suffering in the will of God. The positive side of suffering in the will of God. There are advantages to suffering in the will of God. Now, uh, <laughs> let me just say a quick word. The two broad categories. I choose to suffer being identified with Jesus Christ. I choose to suffer by saying no to my flesh, etc., having a devotional time, all those things. But there's other suffering in the will of God that we don't choose and we don't go looking for. And if you go looking for them, you are absolutely out of your mind. What are the advantages to suffering in the will of God? Well, turn with me just for the last few moments. One scripture, 1 Peter. 1 Peter. Because Peter knows what it is to fail miserably. But he knows what it is to learn from that failure. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. You may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be, here it is, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Praise, glory, and glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. As you see him face to face, as we bow before him, and you then look into his eyes, and you want to hear him say, well done, good, and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of thy Lord. Suffering in the will of God proves that you're the real deal. You're going to tell me somebody that's been going to church all their life but never, never had an opportunity outside of a church setting, never having an opportunity to confess that I'm a Christian, that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to tell me that person's the real deal? Now, I'm not God. I'm not God. But don't you think there's a problem with somebody that says, says I'm a Christian, but they've never confessed it in the world? Man, to be willing to confess Christ, not be arrogant about it, not be, you know, my goodness. I, I hate Christians that just try to, you know, put it out there in such a way that it's not like the character of Jesus. 
Just be who you are. And when the opportunity comes, don't be ashamed of it. I'm a Christian. You've been listening to The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship. Sometimes life circumstances hit hard and they can leave us wondering where God is. But rest assured, the Lord never leaves or forsakes. As we study the book of Revelation, it's full of evidence of the Lord's faithfulness. Though the world often looks dark, Jesus brings so much light. Trust in Him. Are you facing an unexpected or frustrating situation today? There's strength in lifting one another up in prayer, and we would be honored to do that for you. Send us an email at info at ccfstpete.church. That's info at ccfstpete.church. Would you also pray for us here at The Living Word? As our ministry grows, we always want to make sure that we're seeking Jesus first and our ideas second. His guidance is what we need. Would you pray that we would recognize His voice always? Thanks for praying. If you live in or near the St. Petersburg area and you don't yet have a church to call home, we would love to be that space for you. Check out ccfstpete.church for the latest service times or to find out how you can join us online if you're not in the area. Thanks for tuning in today. Join us again next time to hear another message from this study in the book of Revelation right here on The Living Word.